to see you all. It is such a beautiful day outside and a great feast. These times make me think about the first feast we observed when I was 14. In Squaw Valley, uh, California, my parents and I, we were there for the very first time. And it was a beautiful, beautiful panorama of mountains and a crisp snap in the air. It was just glorious. So many times I think about that. Over 6,000 people were there at the feast back in the day. And I remember seeing Mr. Meredith and other uh, ministers there. And uh, there we were as well. And we were brand new. We didn't really know that much about keeping the feast. So we decided to camp out. Big mistake. (laughs) But we camped out nearby a Safeway grocery store. That was nice. And so the whole campground, and many people camped out that day, and uh, then if you ran out of goodies, you would go over just across the parking lot and buy things and bring it back and continue gourmandizing. And uh, I remember we would, uh, our first feast, we ate steak for breakfast. I mean, it says you can eat anything you want, you know, whatever your soul desires, right? Steak for breakfast, steak for lunch, steak for dinner. So we were taking that sermonette, Mr. Uh, Burdett gave, to heart in a, in a uh, very naive way. <laughs> and we wound up in the, at least I did, I wound up in the infirmary. <laughs> so you learn, you learn after a period of time. How long will it take for all humanity to be on the same page? And if I don't get my glasses on, I'm going to be not on the same page here. You know, in Acts the third chapter, Acts 3, Acts the third chapter, Acts 3, at verse 9, it says, And the people saw him walking and praising God. This man had recently been healed by Peter and, and John. And they knew it that it was he sat begging at the alms at, beautiful, at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And then, of course, we read down where Peter gives this powerful sermon again. And he calls for them to repent. They were moved by this great miracle. And so they, the Apostle Peter had a chance to preach here and share why this happened. And then he says, repent, verse 19, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, from whom heaven must receive in the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. It's coming. But, brethren, it will take time to unlearn error and then learn the truth. Old habits are hard to break. We, we, we see even among ourselves in the church, how long did it take you to you really comprehend and get a fuller picture of what the church is all about? Not too long ago, but some time ago, uh, I was up in Jackson, Mississippi, and it's always a Kodak moment, it seems, that these things happen. And I, I wished I would have had a camera, a movie camera, you know, and be able to picture, show this picture. But here was a person recently released from prison. He had been there a considerable time, and he had called on the Sabbath, actually Friday, and he called and said, if, could I come and visit with him? And I said, well, I could come after services on the Sabbath And he said, okay, I'll meet you. We met at uh, McDonald's in in, in Jackson, Mississippi. Some have heard this story before. But there we were. After services, the sun was going down, a little chilly. He had on a coat. And uh, we sat there talking about his uh, desire to come to church. So... He wanted to come, and I said, well, uh, we went through a few things, and we, I said, do you, do you understand about God's Sabbath? And he says, oh, yes. He had been keeping that in prison. Well, do you understand about God's holy days? He says, oh, yes, I've been studying about all those things, and 
Do you understand what the true gospel is? He says, yes, I do. I understand all of it. I understand the God's law and his commandments. I said, how did you learn all this? He had been taking the literature in prison and he didn't have anything else to do but study. So that was really remarkable. But at the end, he told me, he said, there's one thing I want to ask from you. And he says, may I attend church? And I said, sure, come on. His his past was in the past, and it was obvious he had made some changes. And he said, well, I have a question. I said, well, what's that? He says, would you show me how to tie a tie? I understand you're supposed to come before God and dress appropriately. Would you show me how to tie a tie? My heart just was coming out of my chest. I couldn't believe it. And I, I said, okay. Well, and he pulled a tie out of his pocket. And there we were as the sun was setting in McDonald's in Jackson, Mississippi. And I was showing him how to tie a double Windsor. Unbelievable. But it takes time to learn certain things. So the title of this sermon is 50 Years into the Millennium. I want to take a look, all of us together, into the future of the millennium. A look of 50 years into the millennium, the glorious rule of Jesus Christ. Now, when I came into the church and with my family, oh, you know, your eyeballs would pop out hearing all the uh, stories and the um, prophecies regarding the future. And, of course, the seal of the church is like the seal we have today with a lion and leading a, a, a lamb a child, actually, leading a lion and a lamb, you know, together. And the lion will lie down with the lamb and the wolf and, and be able to play on the cockatrice den, a, a snake. If you like snakes, you can play with one, you know, and not get bent. <laughs> so this is really a beautiful picture. So in 1965, the booklet came out, Tomorrow's World. And inside Tomorrow's World was this newspaper, newspaper that talked about what it was going to be like, you know, the headline news of, of Tomorrow's World. And, oh, that captured my imagination as a 14-year-old. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be wonderful. And, uh, and, and just the, the idea of such glorious peace and tranquility. We had come through a very serious time in the history of the United States when President Kennedy was assassinated. And I saw that on television, you know, the re, rerun of that. And then I actually, in live, live TV where we were living, I saw the actual assassination of Lee Harvey Oswald. And that was just gut-wrenching. It's horrible to see that. And then we were learning about God's way, and then ultimately in 1965, we were attending our first feast. So let's take a, a look into the millennium and understand how long it's going to take. How long do you think it will take? I thought it would be Presto changeo. You turn the light switch on, the lights come on, and everything is going to be a utopia. And many uh, brethren have that concept from time to time. We think it won't take that long. Well, a couple of months, maybe three months. How long will it take, do you think? How long does it take, taken us to fully comprehend and to really understand all the ins and outs to really get it down pat. You know, brethren, I'm still learning. I know you are too. We're all learning. We haven't got it all, all correct the way we want to, the way we need to. But we're, we're heading that direction, aren't we? But it takes, takes some time. And we see here, beginning in Revelation, the 11th chapter, Revelation 11. Revelation, the 11th chapter and verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. There you go. Instant utopia. Not, not quite. But definitely Jesus Christ is going to be in charge. That is for sure. But that seventh trump will signal a time when all of us will be resurrected. First, those who have died in Christ will come up. And then we which are alive and remain, if we are so fortunate to, to uh, be there and as well, we'll rise up together. 
That is going to be a glorious time. I often wonder about that moment. We'll be so filled with joy. You know, if you, if you kick right now, you probably lift off about two feet. No, not that high, but about two inches off the, off the floor. You know, leap for joy. Rejoice. If we're a little bit older, we probably wouldn't leap that high. But, but if you are a spirit being, how far will you go? And it says the angels are going to gather the saints from the four corners. I often wonder if that's the reason why. We'll be shooting across. I'm just, you know, speculating. Don't take it as if it will be that way. But I'm thinking we're going to be really rejoicing. We're going to be excited to be in the very family of God. And maybe we'll do the pinch test. Oh, this doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> but there we'll, we'll rise and meet Jesus Christ in the air as he's coming back to this earth. And he's going to rule, Revelation 2, verse 27, with a rod of iron. But why? Why will Jesus Christ have to rule with a rod of iron? I mean, after all, Satan's going to be bound, right? So why, why, will, it rule, why will he have to rule with a rod of iron? Well, notice Revelation 16. Revelation 16 and verse 9. And here, the fourth angel, as we heard Mr. DeSimone's sermon, poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And the men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God. Now, get picture this. This is just mind-boggling. This shows you the state of the human mind and human condition. Here are people who have gone through the tribulation, who have seen disaster upon disaster, as we've heard, the two angels have preached the everlasting uh, uh, or the, the uh, final message of the gospel. We read of angels doing that, and of course, all the work of God that has gone on prior to this time, the two witnesses, the work of the two witnesses. So there's this ample uh, witnessing and, and knowledge about Jesus Christ returning. And then this fourth bowl being poured out, and they blaspheme the name of God. They know who he is. The mind and the heart is absolutely insane. What in the world has gotten into them that they would do this? And they did not repent and give him glory. And notice it's a capital H him. They, they understood who he, who he was and, and, uh, or is or will be. And so you see the, hum, the mindset of humanity, even as Christ is beginning to return. And, uh, you know, Satan will soon be, of course, uh, locked up. But nonetheless, the human condition is really, uh, and the human mind and, and the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you can see that today. You know, there are people today that believe the earth is flat. Have you heard about the flat earth people? And I mean, it's, it's a growing concept and idea. And I have to think to myself, where, what happened to them? What, what rock did they come out from under that they were held in, in this ignorance? How can this be? And uh, yet, this is what you find. And you've got people who don't know. What gender they are. What they were born. It's mind-boggling. It shows you how crazy human nature, how crazy the human condition can, can go without the truth, as we heard in the sermonette. Oh, do we need that truth. And we're learning that truth. And thank God for His church. Thank God for... The Feast of Tabernacles. As we were learning, we were growing. We, we didn't know how much to eat. We had no idea that, that when it says you can eat whatever your hearts desire, that there's also this element of moderation that we, we were to learn later on. And many other things. Just simple little things. How do you shake somebody's hand? Well, we had a bricklayer in Glendale, California, and his idea of shaking hands was, was, was to grab your hands and squeeze it till your fingers fell off. 
It was a vice grip. And everyone would, would say, okay, are you ready? Yeah, we've been practicing. Yeah, okay, now yeah, we'd go up and shake his hand just to see if we could endure, you know, without you know, showing any uh, agony. Well, with the ladies, it was a disaster because, you know, they wear uh, uh, rings. Invariably, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say their hands were bandaged, but they would avoid this man. You know. We had to learn how to shake hands. There's the fish handshake where it's just a dead fish, you know. There's the pumper where you just pump up and down like you're on a pumping station. Then there's back and forth like this. And a good hearty handshake. But we learn that you just affirm a gentle handshake. Remember the ladies. They're the weaker, not, not less intelligent, but the weaker vessel, God says. And uh, we want to treat them with gentle care and give a firm but kind handshake, <laughs> and uh, etc. But we had to learn that. My dad would take me up and down the aisle as a teenager. He said, we got to get around and meet people. And so we would go up one aisle and down the other and teach me how to, you know, say, well, hi, my name is so-and-so. And, um, and what's your name? And uh, etc. And we would learn how to, how to communicate with the adults. I recommend that to all the teens at the feast. Go up and down the aisles and greet people. Especially check out the area where there are wheelchairs and those who can't get up out of the chair and, and say hello. Oh, you're in for a treat. That is an adventure. You'll hear about stories and get to talking and fellowshipping and things that have happened that people have gone through. That will raise the hair off your, the back of your neck. It is so inspiring to talk to God's people. And I remember the various ones that I would talk to. Mr. Christopher, Mr. and Mrs. Yunks, and many others. Mr. and Mrs. Yunks came over, uh, migrated as a German couple, and were a maid and a butler for a rich family. They never had children. But, oh, could he play the harmonica. He played... German marches, and it would, uh, you know, he would invite people over. They had a very modest home, but, oh, what warm fellowship. And he and his wife came into the church, and he said God preserved him to come into the church because he was old enough to be in the First World War. But, unfortunately, he could not do the goose step. So he would disqualify him, and he couldn't be a soldier, so that preserved him. What a blessing not to be able to do the goose step. But you see, we see that human nature is such that there's going to be a lot of people still deranged in their thinking. We, we, we have some really hard knuckleheads in the world today. People that are just adamant about absolutely upside down thinking. Where their way is right because they just feel it's right. Feeling is now the new truth. If you feel it, it must be true. If, you, if, if it's an emotional sensation or feeling, well, it doesn't matter whether it's truth or not. It just, it's, it's because I feel it's that way or I think it's that way. That's the way people think today. And it's absolutely bizarre. It makes you not want to watch TV anymore. <laughs> you, know? you hear the news and you think the upside down reasoning. People are just gone out of their minds and their thinking. So we see that this type of situation will be in existence. Jesus Christ will come back to this earth. And there are prophecies in the Catholic uh, teaching, the Catholic Church, the anti-Nicene fathers and post-Nicene fathers, not real fathers, but the church uh, leaders of the day. They have prophecies in there saying that the Antichrist will be coming back to this earth on a white horse. In other words, they, it's a deception pointing to really Jesus Christ returning back, but they will claim that that's the Antichrist. And so a lot of people will be deceived, and they will fight Christ, obviously, but others, as we see here, they will know. It will be so obvious. The fruits will be evident. So how will the utopia that we all think and dream about and see in a picture here at the feast How will this begin? Step number one. God's laws must be enforced. 
Jesus Christ will be given all authority. That's the only way people are going to be brought up short and be able to say, ooh, somebody's in charge here. There will only be one government. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And the Ten Commandments will not only be displayed, but will be enforced. The commandments will be the rule and the law of the land, along with all the statutes and judgments and the wisdom that go along with it. In Luke, the 19th chapter, Luke 19, there's something else connected with Jesus Christ being in charge and his government. Notice Luke 19. Luke, the 19th chapter. Luke 19. And at age 14, when I read that booklet on Tomorrow's World, it, it really grabbed my attention. And I know any teenager who would read that booklet or your ultimate destiny or have the opportunity to go to the summer camp, this wonderful summer camp the church has, or the adventure camp, what a blessed opportunity where you can draw closer to God and understand more deeply these promises. But it just galvanizes your imagination. It helps you to see there's a real world that is coming. The real Jesus Christ is real. He is on the right hand of the Father. God is real and genuine. God's promises are real. He will fulfill all of his promises. He does not lie. And he will be with all of our young people. He will be with all of our young adults and all of the adults and all of the older adults. All of us and those that are coming in brand new. It is so inspiring to see. But God is in charge. Here in Luke, the 19th chapter... Luke 19, we see that those who are faithful in little will be faithful in much. Well done, verse 17, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. So this is that parable and showing uh, that no matter what responsibility you or I, I are given, if we're faithful, even with a cup of cold water, you will no wise lose your reward. Now, how faithful are we and what are we learning in terms of our part? But you see, what is going to happen is there will be a worldwide system of perfectly righteous kings, priests, you, brethren, who will be assisting Jesus Christ, who has all authority. Because you will be part of the government of God. And you've been faithful in a little, you will have authority to help judge and administer and make sure humanity begins learning the ropes of keeping God's commandments. You remember we heard Isaiah 30, 21. This is the way. Walk you in it. Oh, that's going to be a that's going to be a lot of fun. You'll see somebody, maybe somebody you might even know, maybe a distant relative. <clears throat> Hello. What do you think you're doing? This is the way. Walk you in it. We're going to have a lot of fun helping Jesus Christ, assisting him in encouraging people to understand the right way. And they're going to be motivated. I mean, we'll have voices that will carry and be able to project, you know, and people will listen. And they'll be learning. See, they just don't know. They, they have this after so many years of hearing this false, uh, you know, philosophy and ideas and and hum, humanism and evolution and all the different isms and crazy nutty ideas and religion that has held people captive. False religion. That, that will take some time to unlearn. People are superstitious. There are people that are baptized in the church today that have superstitions. That, that have superstitions still. If they spill the salt just out of habit. 
We used to do that, and my mom would go around sweeping up salt off the floor, you know. And then my grandmother, she'd see a black cat. She, oh, no, a black cat running across the road. And uh, don't go under a ladder. And, oh, woe be to you if you broke a mirror. All these superstitions, you see, had to be unlearned. What about a rabbit's foot? I don't want to ask, but how many of you had a rabbit's foot at one time? Okay. You have to, we'll keep that under wraps. I had one. That poor rabbit. You see, what I'm saying is people will still be filled with human nature, just like we have had to come and unlearn certain things. Ingrained habits, habits of selfishness will still exist. There'll be a mob mentality. Well, everybody is thinking this way where we're living, so it must be right. That mindset is just so uh, debilitating, and there'll be a lot of chaos and confusion because human nature, even though Jesus Christ has descended and all the saints and they're in Jerusalem, will be in Jerusalem and Mount Zion, uh, there'll be a lot of people still upset, still in turmoil. And we read about those who will uh, be bemoaning the fact that Babylon has fallen. Oh, oh, it's us, man. Babylon, look at all the things we had, all the abundance. Instead of crying out to God and asking for your forgiveness, they'll be bemoaning the fact of all that mess uh, being destroyed. Now, Let me ask you this. Once Satan is bound, we read that in Revelation 20, will people be able to excuse themselves and say, well, the devil made me do it? And by that time, you know, Satan will be bound, thrown into the bottomless pit. He'll no longer be around to deceive. But think about this. Eve was deceived But did God let her off the hook? A person can still be deceived, manipulated by the devil, and they're still held accountable. Even the beast and the false prophet will be thrown in the lake of fire, even though they were possessed. You see, you have accountability, even so. And Eve was deceived, but still held accountable for rebelling against God. And, of course, Adam as well. No one's going to be able to make any excuse. Jesus Christ and the saints, all of us will be able to read minds. We'll know exactly what is on their mind and their intent, their attitude, their motive. And we'll say, this is what you're really thinking. And you are guilty and you need to change. And this is the way. Walk you in it. And they'll say, well, why am I thinking this? And you'll say, Jeremiah 17, line. Let's turn there. You'll say, Jeremiah 17, 9. A memory scripture. One we know well. We probably can quote it. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. And you'll say to them, you've been deceived and you don't realize it, but you've allowed things to, to appeal to vanity and jealousy and, and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Your heart has deceived you. You're desperately wicked. Who can know it? I mean, if you were to tell somebody they're desperately wicked, you'd almost have a fight on your hands. But, you know, Christ told the disciples, he said, you being evil... Talking about prayer, you know, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit? Imagine talking to someone saying, well, you being evil. How offensive that is. That's offensive to a, 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 you know, a Protestant mind, a carnal mind. We don't want to be we don't want to think of ourselves as evil, do we? 
But God says here, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So in spite of Satan's deception and manipulation, humanity still need needs to see what sin is, how it occurs, and to bitterly, with all their being, repent of their rebellion against the great God of the universe and their rejection of the true Jesus Christ. How they wiped their feet all over God's holy and righteous laws. How they have sinned time and time again. They become apostates and didn't even know it. And they are really going to be brought up short and helped to be. And it will be a blessing. Because as we sang in that hymn at the very beginnings from Psalm 119, God's commandments, his law is truth and love. So out of love, God is going to help people to see. It'll be a correction. But we'll be there to enforce and help people understand God's laws. Won't that be wonderful? Then on into the great white throne judgment. Oh, wow. What a delight that's going to be. You know, I I really hope and pray my brothers somehow make it through the tribulation. That would be a great joy. Then if God doesn't call them but waits till the millennium, then I'll be able to walk behind them and be that voice. I say that with a smile, tongue-in-cheek. It probably won't happen, but that would be a great joy to help my brothers. They think I'm crazy. And I'll be able to tell them, no, no I'm not. You're the ones who have been crazy all along. You think I'm crazy? Wait till, I, wait till you hear what I have to tell you. But isn't it true? Isn't the human mind deceives itself? Where James says in James, the first chapter, when a man is tempted, that God doesn't tempt him, but man is led away of, and woman, led away of their own lusts, own desires. I've had people tell me, well, they prayed about a certain thing. They, they, they want to marry or they want to go do something, take a particular job, whatever it is. And they prayed for God's will. But all, in mind, all, all along, they had in mind what they wanted to do regardless of what the answer would be. And so they decided that after they prayed and fasted, well, I think I want to take this job. They would go ahead and take it. Or they married, wanted to marry this man. And they went ahead and married the man and, and out of the church, you know. And that's supposedly God's will. And, and uh, see, the mind is, is, is really crazy in, in that regard. And there was this young lady who said uh, that she was praying about a man, a husband. And uh, so she was kind of superstitious because she would play around on the walkie, you know, the walkie-talkie. You know, truckers have these, breaker, breaker, you know, hi, bulldog, hi, golden eagle, how are you? Oh, fine, thank you. You know, And they go up and down the highway and they talk back and forth. Well, she was on this walkie-talkie, and this guy... That was on the other. This is before computers. In case, in case you don't know what a walk, you know, uh, what these walkie-talkies are. I'm old school here. But anyway, this was a big deal. And, and, and the ministry in Pittsburgh, we used walkie-talkies to communicate back and forth, you know, you know on a particular channel. But anyway, the, the, the bottom line was this, this girl, um, a guy came on there and he said, I would like to date you. I think I'm in love. And she said, oh, you are? Oh, wow. Well, let's go out on a date. And that was a disaster. You know, it it wasn't God's will. It wasn't an answer to her prayer, etc. You see how crazy human nature is. So when we ask for God's will, we need to counsel. Especially in marriage, you need to counsel with our parents, with the ministry, Get all the facts and don't bond before you make your decision. Wait, get the information first. And then you can make a wise decision based upon God's way of life. And this is what we'll be teaching in the world tomorrow. This is what we'll be encouraging God's people. Those who will be now have the opportunity for their chance for salvation. 
But they have to come to grips and see by because of God's commandments, they'll be able to see what they've been doing wrong. And they'll be able to see that laws, God's laws have not been done away with. They can see the absolute fruits of disobedience toward the laws of God. They'll look around and be able to observe that. The way of sin, the wages of sin is death. And it'll be all around, probably still smell of death everywhere. We'll be able to then enforce and help and assist Jesus Christ in this great, great job of re-education. Step number two. Christ will gather Israel from the peoples, all nations, and give them the land of Israel. Somebody has to set the pace. And it looks like from the scriptures we'll be turning to that God will use Israel. First of all, Israel has been the greatest promulgator and promoter and, and exporter of filth and licentiousness and all kinds of evil. And God is going to punish Israel double for her sins. And then God is going to bring back all of his people back to Israel. In Ezekiel 20. Ezekiel 20. I'll move along here. Ezekiel 20, verse 20. <clears throat> verse 20. Uh, let's see. Verse uh, 38. Notice this. Verse 34, let's begin. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with a fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will plead my case with you face to face just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt. So I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. And I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And I will purge the rebels from among you. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing. But where are those rebels coming from? You see, human nature still alive and well, even after Jesus Christ is here on this earth. And there'll still be some nimcompoops, hard-headed, who will be adamant, implacable, not willing to, to change. And he will remove those rebels those people that would cause division and upset out from among Israel. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell and they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And all these things that God is doing, he's slowly but surely emphasizing this point. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And I wonder many times in the church as we grow in God's way that we're learning the same thing as we make it through certain trials. Then, you know, Jesus Christ is your Lord, even more so that he has wrought incredible miracles in your life. And he is going to preserve you and is preserving you for his kingdom. But Israel's restoration, as we see here, will take time. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, will begin the restoration of all things by bringing back the 12 tribes of Israel to their original inheritance. Oh, what a glorious time that's going to be. Notice uh, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. When I read this, tears come to my eyes. Uh, it's just so powerful. Jeremiah 29. God loves Israel, and we are here all spiritual Israel. Think how much God loves you. And we're going to be in the very family of God, administrating God's government under Jesus Christ. But notice here, verse 20, uh, chapter 29, verse 11, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
See, God loves his people. And by extension, he loves all people because we know he's not a respecter of persons. But in order for things to begin and, and the full restoration, God will deal with Israel and start bringing them back. And, you know, the nations around, they're going to be looking at what's going on. They're going to see that they, Israel suffered double for their sins. Many of them will get the picture, you know, surrounding Israel. But notice this in chapter 31, Jeremiah 31. This is also, I think, very inspiring. Chapter 31, verse 1. At that time, says the Lord, I will bring the God of I will be the God, excuse me, I will be the God of all the families of Israel. Jeremiah 31, verse 1. I'll be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give them him rest, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. And I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall be again be adorned with your tambourines, and shall go forth in the dances those who rejoice. Well, God is going to restore Israel. Verse 8, Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the ends of the earth, among the blind and the lame, the woman with child, the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return. They shall come with weeping and with supplication, and I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. It is such a a, uh, picture. Can you imagine people of the tribes of Israel finding out their true identity? And, uh, you know, you'd be surprised just what tribe we might, you know, your DNA might show. Um, and uh, But we're spiritual Israel, so we are on a higher level, plateau. And uh, that's the most important Israel to be a part of. That's the one that's going to live forever, you know, to be born in the very family of God. But God is going to use Israel to help the other nations come to understand as well. There's going to be this great throng, and they will know who they are. Somehow God will reveal to Israel that who they are, and that's going to be a miracle in itself. And you can imagine as they come back from all this captivity and horrible uh, treatment that they had received from the Gentile nations, and the Gentiles are going to be very afraid, and they'll have a certain fear Because they realize the God of the universe, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he will have all authority and they better let them go. And they will. And they'll start coming back in a great throng. I remember this uh, symphony, the New World Symphony, I believe it is. Mr. Thomas would know. But there's this song or hymn or whatever words that go I'm bound for the promised land. I'm bound for the promised land. Who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. There's going to be this great chorus and and joy. Well, first of all, they'll be crying in one sense. They'll realize that they've dropped the ball. They've missed the mark. They they realize they have they have really been off on way out in left field, not knowing the truth. And they'll come to understand the true Christ. And begin to see their sins. They'll see that their Redeemer is bringing them out of this captivity. There's going to be weeping and uh, crying out and mourning. Verse 13, Then the virgin rejoice in the dance, the young men and the old together, and and I will return their mourning to joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. So they're going to come out. There's going to be uh, this uh, first, this feeling of remorse and great repentance as they're coming down to Jerusalem and coming into the promised land. And then once they get closer, there's going to feel this 
this spirit of peace and comfort as if they realize they've been forgiven, that their sins have been lifted off and God is going to plant them. The Lord Jesus Christ will plant them in Israel and they will begin to grow. What a beautiful picture that is. In fact, there is one particular scripture here, if I can find it. Uh, Let's see. Anyway, uh, maybe it's in Isaiah. It gives another very touching uh, picture. In Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 40. And if it's not Isaiah 40, then we'll move on. Here it is, Isaiah 40, verse 10. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will lead his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. So here they're coming back, this great throng. They started out pouring, crying out to God and mourning as they were coming back. And now as they're coming in, there's this great joy. And perhaps, you know, angels will be there helping. People will have children and small children. How are they going to make that trek? And there'll be assistance there. Maybe, Maybe we will help out. Maybe we will go pick up a child and help and bring back the children of Israel and their young ones. Maybe Jesus Christ himself would lead in that regard. But you have this picture that is really remarkable. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture. So God is going to restore Israel. Both, all 12 tribes, both nations, both kingdoms, back to their original status and position there in Israel. And I can't help but think something else in my mind, but I, I want to uh, stay with the, uh, the organization here and, and um, bring it out here a little bit later. But there's, as you think about this, brethren, think about what the needs are going to be. What will the people need? How are they going to, you know, get acclimated and uh, you know, just, just the basics. Uh, where, where do we camp out? Where do we go? All the buildings will be destroyed, basically. And so what about the infrastructure? There's going to be this big earthquake that's going to take place. And many things are going to take place that you makes you wonder, well, how are they going to support all these people that will be coming into Jerusalem? So that's something to think about, those needs and how they were going to be satisfied. And uh, you're going to be involved. I will be, we'll all be involved. And we're going to be there to encourage these new people, as we've heard. Step number three, the covenant shall be made. The covenant shall be made. Back in Jeremiah again. Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It doesn't say how many, but how how long will it take to get things right in the perfect setting where this can happen? I will make with the house of Israel, says the Lord, I will pour, excuse me, I will put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see, before the utopia can occur, there has to be a change in human nature. There has to be a rejection of human nature and an acquiring of God nature, the nature of God, the mind of God, his attitude. And this is what's going to happen. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me from the east, least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. 
Thus says the Lord, verse 35, who gives light, sun for a light by day and ordinances the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Obviously, God's word is sure. He is going to keep his promises and none of these ordinances will disappear. See how much God loves Israel. And he's going to give Israel the opportunity to get it right this time. And they are going to do it. And it's going to be a great blessing. Eyes are going to be open. God is going to remove the covering off of all nations where they'll be able to see for the first time. And you think about all the people that are hamstrung and, and held captivity by false religion. Their eyes are going to see clearly how they've been duped, just like we were. We, we were duped by false religion. And I remember thinking, well, we could kick ourselves because how in the world could we be been so naive just to accept everything that we were taught? But that's just the, the, the way it was. And brethren, you know what you thought and what you believed at one time. And uh, how long did it take? How long did it take to unlearn those things? Now, in Zechariah 14, human nature, again, still alive and well. There'll be some nations that won't come up. We see Egypt will not come up. And they will be punished as a result. And I can just imagine this as they look around and they see, you know, something's wrong with this picture. We're a bunch of hardheads down here. What is wrong with us? We're having to struggle with water and being able to have crops growing. And look around us. All these nations are being blessed that go up to Jerusalem. Maybe the first thought will come to their mind, oh, you want to go up to those Jews? You know, you, you know they have all these, these negative feelings toward the Jews, toward Israel. After a while, they'll be thinking, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we love the Jews. Maybe it'd be nice to go up there and, and maybe there'll be some reaching out as well as the as they learn that Jew, the Jews are just one tribe and there are other nations up there as well and they'll all be, be abundant and prosperous and things will be being blessed and, and it will really take them by surprise. Can you imagine that first trip to Jerusalem by Egypt? Here they've been holding out, holdouts, hard heads, and now they've humbled themselves. They've actually begun the process of repentance and they're coming up and they're probably thinking, what are these people going to think about us? Have you ever had that thought go to your mind? You've made some mistakes and you've repented and you thought, well, I've got to bite the bullet. I've got to come to church. And you come to church and you're wondering what people are going to think. And they nearly tear you apart, hugging you. Glad that you got, came back or glad that you're there. We're family. It's a team effort. In God's church, and we'll be a team under Jesus Christ helping these people. But you see, they have to come to see the truth. In order to change human nature, one must acquire God's nature. One must see that God is real, that He reigns supreme over all the earth. One must understand God's holy and righteous laws. They're enlightening, they convert the soul. They are good for us. Can you imagine playing a basketball game without rules? It's almost to that point anyway. But, I mean, they, they get out there. And, but if there were no rules, it would be complete chaos. They would be traveling and, and uh, they wouldn't even dribble the ball anymore, you know. And they would just knock each other out of the way and dunk it. And, uh, or they'd say, well, I just imagine I dunked it. And then, you know, two points would come up on the. I mean, they just make it up as they go. Complete confusion. So you see how powerful the law of God is. It'll set the standard. People will have guidelines of what really works. They won't have to experiment. They can just, well, this, is, this works. God says it works. It works. And then they will have a desire and want Jesus Christ to save them after a profound, deep repentance from dead works. 
after a deep, profound repentance of self-will and the acceptance of Jesus Christ as personal Savior. See, the new covenant will be ratified. They must be willing to submit completely to God's will and his government, just like you, brethren, have and are doing. The obedience is a way of life to God's law. And they must confirm, obey, embrace the new covenant, be baptized and receive God's Holy Spirit, the very power that imparts the mind and nature of Jesus Christ and the Father. Wow, that is going to be the day. That is really going to be something. Then step four, blessings are going to be poured out. There will be a tremendous building program underway in earnest. We heard about that. The, uh, Israel will return and the nations will begin to understand and Jerusalem and the surrounding area will become like a Garden of Eden. How long will it take for people to work together in building up the waste places? How long does it take us to cooperate and get, get, get our act together in terms of not being jealous, but working together as a team. Who, who cares who is in charge as long as the job gets done, right? And we're a team. One wins, we all win. It's a, it's a great way of doing things. And God has called us to be servant leaders, servant kings and priests. And he who serves the most is the greatest. So we are learning even now how to be how to work together, and so they will as well. How long will it take? And there'll be people that want to try to usurp authority, want to try to dominate somebody. Well, that'll end in a hurry, won't it? That won't last very long. A voice will come by behind them and say, well, who do you think you are? You know, this is the way. How long will it take? How long will it take people to understand the Sabbath and the, and the health laws? To eat the right things. Quit eating pork and shrimp and snails and grubs. Believe it or not, grubs. People eat grubs. Piles of them. How long will it take for people to come up and begin keeping God's feasts? It will take, take some time. It will take some infrastructure. Technology will be wiped out. Transportation will be slower. People will be living in smaller communities. Uh, people will have to learn a whole new way of doing things. It may take 10 to 20 years, perhaps, in terms of certain infrastructure, rebuilding of Jerusalem to the point where the remnant of Israel are, is productive, peaceful, and enjoying God's rule on the earth. And, of course, the earth giving forth its, its um, increase. But is all well? In Ezekiel, the 38th chapter, there's still some pockets of holdout. We read about it here in Ezekiel, the 38th chapter. I'll just summarize by saying Gog and Magog are last holdouts, holding back the full completion of the utopia becoming, uh, you know, in full swing. And Gog and Magog, if you read the booklet that Mr. Ames wrote on Middle Eastern prophecy, describes them as a Russo-China alliance. It includes uh, the remnants of Iran and Ethiopia and parts of India, etc. And they will get it into their mind as they look on the land of Israel, a land of a people without tents. I mean, not without tents, but without uh, Barriers or walls, unfortified cities, no locks on the doors, people at peace, abundance out, you know, the top being blessed. And they'll get it in their mind, the human nature, as they look at it, lust after it, want it. They're going to come down and they're going to want to take it. It's going to be a historic and earth shaking event in Ezekiel, the 39th chapter, Ezekiel 39. We see a 
that God is going to intervene. Jesus Christ will not allow this to get too far. Verse 21 of chapter 39, I will set my glory among the nations. All nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed with in my hand, which I laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God from this day forward. The Gentiles shall know that I that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them and I gave them into the hand of their enemies and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, have I dealt with them and hidden my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, now I'll bring back the captives of Jacob, have mercy on the house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. And when these Gentiles come up to take over uh, uh, Jerusalem and carry off booty, God is going to destroy every one of them. And uh, there may be a few that might escape, but the vast majority will be taken care of. And there will be, like we've heard in Mr. Dizamon's sermon, seven months they will be burying the remnants of Gog and Magog. So God will be jealous for his holy name. Verse 26, after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they are unfaithful to me, when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid, when I brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' land, I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations and also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. And I will hide, not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord. So what's going to happen is when God brings back Israel, there'll be still pockets of rebellion among some nations. And when they come up against Jerusalem, God is going to, Christ will put them uh, all on the run, destroy them. We read about that. And uh, there'll be a great burial that will take seven months to complete. And all the other nations are going to be watching all of this. And they're going to be seeing who is really in charge. And they better get their act together. And they will. Fifty years into the millennium. Fifty years, I've just thought that maybe it would take that length of time, 50 years, nations will finally learn who is in charge. And they'll rejoice and they'll come up to Jerusalem. Please teach us your ways. We want to learn. We're all ears now. And Israel shall know who's in charge, and so will the Gentile nations. How long will it take to understand the financial laws? All that God has in store for them. Eventually, 50 years. What about the Jubilee? When all debts will be forgiven after 50 years. We are so excited in the news about the GDP being 4% increase. How about 100%? How about 200%? What will it be like under the government of God, the great productivity, as we heard, and prosperousness in a prosperous uh, situation that we heard in the sermonette. I'd like to conclude with the headlines here of tomorrow. Millions hail King of Kings and Lord of Lords on the first holy day of God's sacred calendar. Angelic choir fills the air with awesome praise to the great God of heaven and earth, to his Son. Men, women, and children stand to hear Christ's powerful message. The glorified Savior and Savior of the world makes plain the way to peace. Another headline, crime rate drops to zero. Diseases begin to disappear as millions healed of sickness, death. Millions healed of sickness. Death begin to hear blind see, crippled leap for joy on their way to Jerusalem. Hospital properties, nursing homes, universities, and colleges up for sale, while doctors, nurses, and CNAs and other, other help in those medical professions find joy of more productive employment in small family farms and agribusiness. 
Department of Agriculture predicts unprecedented bumper crops. Causes of poverty revealed while hunger and poverty become a thing of the past. Preparation for the third land Sabbath underway. And maybe after the Jubilee, another land Sabbath within seven years, you know. Huge discounts on plows and farming implements. No credit or contract needed, just your word and a handshake. Lost and found. Lost Fido, a lion, wandered away. If you found, please notify the family below. John Stevenson, 247 Peacemaker Drive, City of Peace, World Headquarters. Go to the Weapons Destruction and Transformation Depot if you need a plow. Special deal on Abraham's plow, reprocessing the steel from Abram's tank. So we have this chance, brethren, to be a part of this and God's government. I have one final note here. Here's a, a, a headline. Be a part of the adventure. Wanted young families who volunteer will receive land, animals, and necessities to begin pioneering vast areas of virgin land that need to be rebuilt and designed God's way. Potential land is well watered, the streams brimming with fish, abundant wildlife, and the beauty of the forests are breathtaking, along with vistas of open spaces ready for farming and rearing families. I want to go. Well, brethren, let's keep the big picture. Jesus Christ will be ruling on this earth with all power and authority and all of us together with him. It will be the benevolent, benevolent rule of God's government that will make this all happen. The whole world will learn what we're learning now. It will take time. It will take patience. It will have to be long-suffering. But we'll see, as we see even today, people will change. Human nature will become less and less. And we, as we're doing now, acquiring more of the nature and power of God, so also will the people in the world tomorrow. And this will bring about the glorious utopia, a wonderful world tomorrow.